Listener Production. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Half Science Explained, a weekly podcast brought to you by Listener and Cosmos. Today, you've got me, Claire Kenyon, talking all things solar panels. How do they work? And what shiny new things are coming sometime to a rooftop near you? The sun shines, your calculator performs sums, your Tesla charges, and your house's battery starts to fill up on stored energy. Meanwhile, up in space, the James Webb Space Telescope collects enough solar light to give it the power it needs to peer into space. How much solar energy do you reckon was generated globally last year? If you've guessed somewhere in the ballpark of a thousand terawatt hours, that's one with 12 zeros after it, you'd be on the money. If that number still means nothing to you, then imagine a standard 10 watt LED globe, which have typically replaced the 60 watt incandescent globes in our living rooms. We're talking about the energy to sustain a hundred billion of these for an hour. And all this energy was harvested from the sun's light through solar cells which when grouped together in a frame, for example on a rooftop, are called solar panels. So you've probably seen them everywhere, but do you know how they actually work? All right, I'll break it down for you. But to do that, I'm going to have to introduce you to the dark magic of semiconductors. At its simplest, a solar cell is a semiconductor lattice of silicon in which electrons are encouraged to move to make electric current. But how? To find out? we need to take a little trip to the local amusement park. Here we are at the carousel. Take your seat on one of the horses. Weirdly, it's made of silicon, but don't worry, that will help you, an electron, stick a little bit better. Why do you need to stick? Well, this carousel operator, Mr. Sunny, is a real jerk. He likes to quickly start and stop the carousel to see if anyone falls off. If you're the unlucky one, you have to find another empty horse. You might even have to get off this carousel and get on the next one. Lucky this theme park is only full of carousels. It's a weird place, I know. So at the moment, we have sticky silicon horses on the carousel, arranged like the lattice making up a semiconductor. Not many people electrons fall off when Mr. Sunny does his thing, which means relatively few wandering around looking for new places to sit. If we wanted to increase the number of people moving around, then there are a couple of things we could do. Let's replace some of those silicon horses with arsenic or phosphorus horses. Luckily, in this example, you're totally immune to any type of poisoning. Anyway, these horses take you and a friend, but the second seat is quite slippery. So when Mr. Sunny gives the carousel a kick of energy, your friend falls off quite easily. Another option to get people moving is to make more places for them to sit. On a carousel next door, let's replace some of those silicon horses with boron or gallium double carriages. When all you electron people are shaken loose by Mr. Sunny, you're easily able to find a seat at the next carousel. So, you just had tickets to the semiconductor show. Silicon is a semiconductor where electrons are shaken loose by light. Silicon atoms hold on to their electrons pretty tightly. So we need something more than pure silicon if we want to get good electron flow, which is electric current. So once we have a silicon lattice, that's lots of silicon atoms connected together, we can add arsenic or phosphorus to make a negatively charged N-type semiconductor, which will increase the number of available loose electrons. 
If we add boron or gallium to the lattice instead, we make a positively charged P-type semiconductor, one with more holes for these loose electrons to occupy. Put these two types of silicon side by side and apply an electric field to funnel the electrons into the direction we want and ta-da! We've suddenly got the awesome power of a solar cell, converting the sun's energy into the movement of electrons, which is the stuff of all technological life, electric current. How much energy can a solar cell capture? Ever heard someone say solar cells are too inefficient to really contribute to the world's future energy needs? Well, they're probably referring to the fact that the average solar panel, for example, one you might see on a rooftop, is currently only about 20% efficient at converting sunlight into electricity. A lot of this comes down to how the cells are configured into panels. There's always loss due to dead space and connections between cells inside a panel. But in real-world conditions, the true efficiency limit of these kinds of silicon cells is around 29%. But before you start to regret divesting from fossil fuels and putting your money into solar, you should know that the average energy efficiency of a coal power plant in the US is about 33%. And now energy researchers, chemists, physicists, materials scientists, engineers, you name it, are all working to push solar cells to and beyond this limit. How can we increase the amount of solar power? Well, one way to get more energy is to install lots more panels. A project in the Northern Territory will deliver somewhere between 17 and 20 gigawatts of power. That's 2 billion of those 10-watt LED light globes. But increasing the efficiency of the panels is high on the priority list. One of the most obvious ways is to increase the amount of light falling on the cells. Although the panels on your roof are probably fixed, Many new arrays, such as the Western Downs Green Power Hub currently being developed in Queensland, will actually track the sun throughout the day, increasing energy capture by up to 25%. Some scientists are even working on some pretty amazing polymers which are able to follow light like sunflowers. Dubbed sunbots, these robots could potentially be used to follow the sun for maximal energy harvesting. But moving parts often mean upkeep, repair and replacement. So to get past this... Some researchers from Stanford University in the US have turned to these amazing inverted crystal pyramids, which are able basically to gather and focus the energy coming in onto the panel. Other avenues of research to improve panels include more efficient materials, new curved panels for installation directly on vehicles such as trains, improving their external aesthetics, and ways to keep them free from dust without wasting water. So many options but are any actually close to getting on my roof? Well, the flavour of the month is a material made from something called perovskite, but don't actually lick it as it does contain a bit of lead, which unfortunately also makes it a bit tricky to recycle, but we'll get there eventually. These perovskites are quicker to make, respond to higher energies of light, so the bluer colours, than normal silicon, and can also be tuned to absorb specific red, green and blue colours. Right now, tandem cells which combine cells of perovskite and silicon are hitting efficiencies of around 31.25%, but there's talk of reaching over 50% energy conversion efficiency by stacking them, so watch this space. Actually, some solar cells are already pretty close, reaching efficiencies of over 47%, but these are used in situations like in space, where concerns of cost come second to considerations like efficiency and weight. In this area, there's heaps of research, even into using organic coatings to produce lightweight and flexible cells, 
to support our burgeoning space industry. But what do we do when the sun doesn't shine? Well, any system relying on solar energy, or renewables more generally, needs to be able to fit in with how and when we want to use the energy. Over the past two decades, there have been huge advances in battery storage, which have enabled us to hold on to more and more of the energy we've captured from sources like the sun and wind. Huge lithium-ion batteries, like the one installed by Elon Musk at Hornsdale Wind Farm in South Australia, are one way to store any excess energy in the power grid. We also use energy to pump water uphill and then use the flowing water to turn turbines and generate power as needed. Dr Cameron Shearer at the University of Adelaide is investigating a different type of energy storage. Any leftover energy generated by solar cells, wind or other renewables can be used to split water apart into hydrogen and oxygen. And when the time comes and energy is needed, the hydrogen and oxygen combine to produce water and energy again. It's clean, dependable, and what's more, this energy, in its deconstructed chemical form, is light, much lighter than a battery, meaning it can be transported around the globe, providing energy to regions that don't have the renewable resources. It also has potential to be used in applications where batteries aren't quite up to scratch, such as heavy industry and long-haul transport. Who knows? In 20 years or so, we could be making electricity while the sun shines and water when it doesn't. And that's all I've got for you on solar panels today. For the latest in science news, don't forget to check out Science Briefing, also available here on the Listener app. And head to cosmosmagazine.com for more science just like this. Otherwise, we'll be back again next time for another Huh? Science Explained. <laughs>